Amen. Okay, uh, as we come to this uh, topic uh, this morning, I'm sure most of us know someone who, uh, at least on a regular basis, forgoes some chocolate over the course of the 40 days of Lent, then just to, to, bin, to binge out then on chocolate on Easter day. Um, I suspect that all of us know someone like that. Uh, but I do suspect, however, that the vast majority of us, the vast majority of us, rarely, possibly never, forgo food for spiritual purposes. Maybe I'm wrong. I have no means of kind of testing that. But uh, the statistics in evangelical in the evangelical world are that fasting is by far the most neglected discipline uh, that uh, was maybe popular once before. There's many of us who fail to see any connection between uh, denying ourselves some calories and and any spiritual good. And for those of us who do see the connection, perhaps it's just just a bit too uncomfortable for us to embrace it as a habit, even if there is some benefit there. Uh, but that has not always been the, the, the view and the attitude of the Christian church. Uh, disregarding, neglecting, fasting uh, is actually a relatively new phenomenon uh, in uh, the life of the Christian church. Uh, I want to just bring up a quote from this document, this is an ancient document, it's called the Didache. Some of you might have heard of it if you've done religious studies. It's, it's, a, it's an ancient document that describes the practice uh, of the first century church. It's, it dates right back to the first century. And it gives a little glimpse into what life was like for early believers. And in this document, there is a reference, there's a few references actually to fasting. Um, here's one. In this document, we're told... Uh, Advice to Christians, do not let your fast coincide with those of the hypocrites. That's a reference there to Jews. Um, they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, so you must fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. It seemed to be the pattern, for the, the regular pattern of the early church to fast two days in the week. Um, for many of us, that, that seems a bit of a stretch. Um, but all I want you to see just very briefly is that, that, that at least for them, they regarded this as a core practice for followers of Jesus. And this was a practice that lasted for centuries, for centuries. Um, I came across uh, this quote by, uh, this provocative quote uh, by John Wesley, the Anglican minister, uh, evangelist, uh, and a founder of the Methodist Church. In, in a sermon uh, that I've listed there at the bottom, uh, he says this, I fear there are now thousands of Methodists so-called, both in England and in Ireland, who, following the same bad example, have entirely left off fasting who are so far from fasting twice a week that they do not fast twice in a month. A man who never fasts is no more in the way to heaven than a man who never prays. That's a strong quote there, is it not? That's a strong quote. Um, apparently, uh, John Wesley refused to ordain anyone to Methodist ministry who did not or would not 
fast twice a week. He regarded that as just a core practice. If you were at all serious about being a follower of Jesus, this was something that you would build into your lives. And so for centuries, the Christian church regarded the the regular practice of fasting as a core discipline, a core practice for disciples uh, of Jesus. Now, as I said, for us in uh, a self-indulgent, consumerist society in Northern Ireland in the 21st century, that sounds crazy, doesn't it, if we're honest? That sounds cultish even. But what I want to suggest is that there is wisdom here. There's wisdom here. It is worth noting, just to pause before we dive into the details, it is worth noting that in the Bible, fasting it gets more of a mention than something that we would regard as important, so important in uh, the, deci- the discipleship of a Christian. It it's, gets more of a mention than baptism. We mentioned baptism this morning, but fasting gets way more of a mention than that. We see that all the A-list characters of the Bible... Uh, All are recorded as fasting, and so Moses fasted, David fasted, Elijah fasted, Esther fasted, Daniel fasted, Nehemiah fasted, Anna fasted, the Apostle Paul fasted, and perhaps most strikingly of all, Jesus himself fasted. Throughout Scripture, all these different people, lots of different people, are recorded as fasting. Uh, We're also told that God commanded his people to fast one day a year, at least one day a year, uh, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And then we also see, as we look through Scripture, that there's lots of different people doing it, but then they're doing it in lots of different ways, lots of different ways. So there's what you might call normal fasting. I'll define that in a minute. Normal fasting, absolute fasting, um, supernatural fasting. There's then private fasting. There's then congregational fasting. There's then national fasting. Look, I don't have time to go into all of those this morning, but I'm going to just talk a little bit about normal private fasting. Normal private fasting. If you've closed your Bible, open it again to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Um, This is part uh, of Jesus' famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in which we have recorded from him uh, was the core... Uh, teaching uh, for what it looks like to live as members of his kingdom, his followers. What should mark them out? Uh, What is normal behavior for those who have understood who he is and what he came to do? And when Jesus, I think what's striking, however, is when Jesus comes to talk about spiritual disciplines for his followers, I want you to notice the three that he highlights, that he gives top billing to. They're there in chapter 6. Giving, prayer, and fasting. I think that's a surprise. If someone was to come to you and say, look, what are the core Christian disciplines? You know, or if you were to organize a course for a brand new Christian, what, is it, what are the habits that you need to get into? What would make your list? Uh, perhaps Bible study, uh, worship, going to church, uh, perhaps serving or evangelism or there's a load more. I, I highly doubt the odds are, in fact, that these three that Jesus mentioned wouldn't be your top three. And I might hazard a guess 
that actually fasting might not even make your top ten. But notice the importance that Jesus places on these three disciplines. And then what's even more striking is the way that Jesus begins his little teaching on fasting here in verses 16 and 17. Notice how he starts. When you fast. Not if you fast. When you fast. And then he goes on to make a, a comment on the, on the practice of fasting. And then he repeats the same phrase, verse 17. When you fast. It is Jesus' expect. It's not his command, but it is his expectation that his followers will be those who fast. And actually, when you, that, that point's made all the, the clearer when you compare what he says about fasting with what he previously said about giving and praying. Just uh, if we turn over to, uh, back to verse 2, uh, or put it up on the screen. Um, when you give to the needy, do not uh, announce it with trumpets. Verse 3, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Then speaking about prayer, verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. I think everyone in this room would agree, I think this would be not controversial, that there is an expectation upon every Christian that they will pray and that they will give, that they will live prayerful, generous lives. And so the assumption seems to be that just in the way we are expected to be prayerful and generous, we are expected by the Lord Jesus to be those people who fast. Flip overnight to chapter 9. Turn over to chapter 9, um, where Jesus again is asked about this topic of fasting. Now, in the, what's happened just before this little interchange is that... Um, Jesus has called Matthew to be one of his disciples. Um, Matthew, who's a tax collector, then invites Jesus to his home and invites some of his friends who are also tax collectors and would be regarded as notorious sinners. Uh, And Jesus is happy to share a meal with them. Uh, And at that point, the Pharisees, the the religious leaders of Jesus' day, uh, are horrified that Jesus would accept such an invitation and eat with notorious sinners. Uh, And Jesus says to them, uh, or they, they come, sorry, to Jesus' disciples, and they ask him the question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, And Jesus effectively says, it's for these kind of people that I've come. They're the ones who need a doctor, and I'm the doctor. Um, But there's a second group. There's a second group who are shocked at best, horrified at worst, that Jesus is behaving in the way that he is. And it's not because of the company that he's keeping. uh, It's because of what he's actually doing. I suspect this this meal happened either on a Monday or a Thursday. This was a fast day, I expect. Uh, And so we read of the second group, uh, John's disciples. Verse 14, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? Here we catch a little glimpse that it was common practice for uh, the Pharisees and the disciples of John to fast. That was part of their their normal spiritual uh, lives. But notice Jesus' reply. 
how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Jesus replies by saying, look, there's something really special about the time now I have with my disciples. And for them to fast, this is is a time of great joy. Uh, And for them to fast while I'm with them, well, look, that would be as inappropriate as behaving at uh, a wedding like you're at a funeral. That would be just totally inappropriate. But he continues, the time will come when the bridegroom, speaking about himself, will be taken from them then they will fast. Then they will fast. Again, it's not a command, but it's hard to avoid the assumption that after Jesus leaves his disciples and returns to his Father, in that period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, his followers will be those who fast. That seems to be the assumption uh, as I read that little passage And so Jesus' expectation then is that his followers, uh, his expectation uh, and his, what is expected for those disciples back then and expected for us today is that we will be those who commit our lives to fasting, that we deny ourselves food, that we deny ourselves food in order to feed and nourish our souls. There seems to be a connection between the two. Um, Look, before we dive into the detail, I know in a crowd this size, I suspect that some of us have a, let's say, a complex, difficult relationship with food. I suspect in a crowd this size, there are some of us who comfort eat uh, when we're stressed or worried, uh, and maybe that's getting out of control. Uh, For some of us, perhaps it's an even more difficult and even more painful relationship with food. Um... Perhaps you are becoming increasingly aware or suspect that you have an eating disorder. And look, if that's you, then please, please talk to someone. Please talk to someone who's a, a mature Christian that you can share your struggle. Um, uh, a book, I was trying to get it in my, my study. I can't lay my hand on it this morning, but uh, Emma Scrivener has written a brilliant little book on the subject as a believer struggling with her, or telling of her struggle with an eating disorder called uh, A New Name. It's, it's brilliant and incredibly helpful. Uh, and perhaps you might even need to see some professional help. But please don't, please don't suffer in silence. But I suspect, however, for most of us, the majority of us here, Uh, is that there is an art of fasting that we need to learn, an art of fasting that we need to learn where we can deny our bodies in order to feed and nourish our souls. Uh, And we're missing out on the benefits of that. Now, I want to simply, in the time that's left, I want to ask and attempt to answer three simple questions. Three simple questions. What is fasting? What is fasting? Why should we fast? And how should we fast? Okay, three simple questions. Let's take each one of them in turn. First, what is fasting? What is fasting? Uh, however, before, before, I, before I give my naughty, very simple definition of fasting, it's probably helpful to just explain what fasting is not what fasting is not. Now, when we use the, the word fasting, and when we're talking about biblical fasting, fasting is not abstaining. 
Fasting is not abstaining. So I often hear people say, yeah, look, I'm having a fast from social media for a week. Or I'm fasting from buying clothes for a few months. Or or I'm fasting from playing the Xbox late into the night. That's also called growing up, by the way, but let's just leave that, let's leave that alone. Um, look, I want to suggest that abstaining from those things, if you think any of those things is a waste of your time and money, if you think any of those things is getting in the way of your devotional life to the Lord Jesus, look, that is a great thing, a healthy thing for you to abstain from. But just don't call it Fasting. Just say, I'm taking a break from whatever it is. Okay? It's not fasting. Second thing, fasting is not a restricted diet. Fasting is not a restricted diet. Uh, just this week, I've come across uh, the, the, the Daniel diet. Anyone heard of the Daniel diet? It's a big fad over in the States at the moment. Uh, and really, it's, it's a diet where you look at Daniel chapter 1 and saw that, see, for three weeks or so, he uh, and his friends just ate vegetables and drank water. Um, And so that's been labeled and packaged at the moment as a Daniel diet. And if you want to reduce your calorie intake, um, look, go on right ahead. Do the Daniel diet. I think that would be helpful. But actually, I think that's a very unhelpful label. And ironically, if you read Daniel chapter 1, you will see that the word fast is not used anywhere in the chapter. Um, Look, reducing your calorie intake, if you want to detox, if you want clearer skin, if you want to uh, tone up, lose some weight, that's great. But don't call it fasting. Don't call it fasting. Fasting is not abstaining. Fasting is not a restricted diet. Fasting is not dieting or a health plan. Uh, The big fad in the health industry at the moment is intermittent dieting, or intermittent fasting, sorry. Is, is um, I, I keep I, I must have clicked on one of the ads one time, and now in every banner and in every intro to every YouTube clip that I watch, I'm getting this intermittent fasting kind of been sold to me as the way for you to tone up, the way for you to lose some weight and detox and have a clearer mind. Uh, and look, and if you combine it with an ex- a good exercise plan, this is the answer to your dissatisfaction with your body. Okay. Um, maybe that's true I don't know Uh, I think I tried it for a month and found no difference and then I just went back to not bothering really the idea is you you, uh, diet or you fast sorry for 16 hours every day Uh, and then you break your fast very carefully with a particular type of food and then for the remaining hours you can eat what you want right that's the sort of idea um However, when we're told that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, I, am all, I can't be absolutely certain, but I'm almost absolutely certain that he was not thinking, I'm just going to go into the desert here and detox and tone up my abs uh, so that I will look really good for this preaching tour that I'm about to go on. I'm, I'm pretty confident that that was not Jesus' motivation when he went on a fast. 
And so here is my, uh, here's my, work, uh, my working definition of fasting. Fasting is voluntarily going without food, but not from water, for a set period of time for spiritual purposes. Okay, fasting, Christian fasting is voluntarily going without food, but not from water for a set period of time for spiritual purposes. If you, do, if, you, if you miss that little last phrase, for spiritual purposes, really you're not fasting, you're just dieting. And it's just a miserable experience of endurance and an exercise of self-will. That's, that's all you're doing. That's not what we're talking about uh, in Scripture. Um, and in fact, uh, Donald Whitney, uh, when he talks about it, uh, he says uh, that there actually are a whole lot of spiritual purposes. Donald Whitney wrote this little book called uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's incredibly helpful. And in his chapter on fasting, he has 10 purposes, spiritual purposes that you could and should have when you're fasting. Now, I'm a bit of a lightweight. I'm not going to give you 10. I'm trying to condense them quickly into five, five spiritual purposes that you should have in mind, one of which you should have in mind uh, when you fast. Here are five things you should be aiming for. So secondly, why should we fast? Why should we fast? First, and the most emphasized reason in Scripture for why we should fast is to strengthen your prayer. To strengthen your prayer. John Calvin put it like this. Whenever, whenever men are to pray to God concerning any great matter, it would be expedient to appoint fasting along with prayer. If you feel burdened to pray for someone or something, uh, or perhaps you know or you're becoming increasingly aware that prayer in general is something that you're beginning to neglect and avoid, then fasting can be your friend. Fasting can be your friend. It can provide a way for you to get... It can be every gurgle of your stomach can be a helpful prompt for you to catalyst, for you to pray. And uh, if prayer is just for a a particular moment of crisis for you, uh, adding fasting to your practice can be a way to give greater focus, greater clarity, and a greater sense of urgency to your prayers. As I said, Don Whitney in his little chapter says, fasting is one of the best friends that you can introduce to your prayer life. And we see loads of examples of that all the way through Scripture. We read that Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, praying urgently for the city of Jerusalem, fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Daniel, praying for the end of exile in Daniel chapter 9, devoted himself to plead with God in prayer and petition with fasting. And this is the reason that gets the most uh, emphasis uh, in the, the Bible for fasting, because fasting has the power to strengthen our prayers, provide that greater focus and clarity and sense of urgency. Um, and in fact, every of the other the reasons that I'm about to give you, the purposes are all in some way connected to prayer. But just a word of caution before I go any further. Just a word of caution. 
fasting, Scripture nowhere teaches and goes out of its way to avoid you making the conclusion that prayer is like going on a hunger strike before God in order to twist his arm to get the outcome that you want or the answer that you want. No, prayer and and fasting does not change God, does not influence him or make him hear more or influence his answer. He was thinking about doing one thing and now, oh, look, you're fasting, so I'm going to change my mind and give a different answer. No, fasting fundamentally changes us. It changes us. There's no guarantee that you will get the answer that you want, but it does make you more receptive to the God who answers. Fasting changes us, and it strengthens our prayer. Second purpose for fasting, then, is that fasting is a way to humble yourself before God, a way to humble yourself before God. The point of fasting is not to free up some of your time. You know, I'm spending a lot of time in meal preparation, and I eat very slowly, and if I could use that time that I dedicate to eating and preparing food to read the Bible and pray, that would be very efficient. No, no, the point of fasting is so that you feel hungry. That's the point of fasting, so that you feel hungry. Why would that be a good thing? Well, that's a good thing because when you feel hungry, you are confronted with the reality that you are mortal. You are confronted with the reality that you are a creature and not the creator. You are confronted with your limits You're confronted with your weakness and your vulnerability and your reliance upon God. Fasting is a mechanism that we can use to humble us, to humble us. Um, I only only stumbled across the reference this morning, so it didn't make the the draft of the talk, didn't make the, 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 the uh, the, the PowerPoint here. But just in Deuteronomy 8, when we're told that the people of Israel were rebellious against the Lord. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, we're told that God humbled them. How? By allowing them to go hungry. That was his purpose. Uh, We read of King Ahab, one of the, the most evil, wicked kings of Israel, and yet confronted with the reality and the judgment of God, he humbled himself. And so in 1 Kings 21, we read, when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. And then we're told in verse 28, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Do you see the connection between fasting and being humbled as a reminder uh, of our limits and as an expression of our humility? Uh, Fasting is useful because it can strengthen our prayers. It can humble us before God. Fasting is a useful tool because it helps us uh, when we're to seek guidance, to seek guidance. So you've got a big decision to make. Um, and you don't know exactly what to choose, and you're looking for discernment and direction, fasting can become a way in which we are more open 
to God's leading. And so in Acts 14, verse 23, we read of Paul and Barnabas. Um, Before they appoint elders in the churches that they've just planted, we read that they pray and they fast before they make their decision. They're praying and fasting and asking for God's guidance. Um, Again, there's no promise here. It's not cause and effect. Uh, There's no promise here that God will always guide you super clearly, that there'll be a finger pointing down from heaven, that there will be this supernatural glow, uh, and just make your decision just completely obvious. But when we fast and pray, we are more open to the God who leads. We're more open to the God who leads. Fasting can help us strengthen our prayers, can humble us before God. It's a, a way to seek guidance And then number four, it is a way of expressing grief and repentance over sin. Uh, In scripture, fasting was also quite often a way to express grief and sorrow and regret over wrongdoing and failure. Uh, And so, for example, in 1 Samuel 7, we hear the whole people of Israel coming together and proclaiming a, a fast to express their sorrow and regret for their idolatry and unfaithfulness to God. Um, In fact, in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, God commands his wayward people to express their repentance through uh, fasting. Uh, Very famously, and we looked at the story this year already in in the book of Jonah, when the people of Nineveh hear Jonah's warning of coming judgment, they recognize that it was correct. God's verdict was right uh, and they submit to it and they all call a fast as a, as a city to express their repentance before God. Again, let me be very, very, very clear. We are not called to pay for our own sin. This is not self-punishment to impress God. That is not what fasting is, called, is, is about. Not at all. It's not impressing God in any way. We have wonderfully, because of the Lord Jesus, who has paid our debt for us, we are given this wonderful promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But I know in my life, and I suspect in yours as well, there are times when we are so broken up so grieved by our own sense of guilt and wrongdoing that we just feel that words are not enough. The words aren't enough. I need to just express it. Word, words are inadequate. And I want to show God that how sorry that I am. And fasting is a, is a wonderful way to express that when words we feel are inadequate. Uh, Why should we fast? To strengthen your prayer, to humble you before God, to seek guidance, to express grief and repentance over sin. And then finally, to overcome temptation, to overcome temptation. Um, In one of the the very first stories we read about Jesus in the Gospels, after he is baptized by John, we read that he is led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a supernatural fast. Um, We read that the enemy, uh, the evil one, 
suspected that he would be uniquely vulnerable at this point, uh, uh, that he might yield to temptation. Uh, And so we read that the enemy came to him uh, and tempted him severely. Uh, And yet, as we read through the story, we discover that Jesus is actually, while he is no doubt physically hungry, he is spiritually strong. He is spiritually strong. Uh, That's the surprise that we're meant to get. And look, I know there's all sorts of ways in which that passage is unique uh, about the Lord Jesus. And there's all sorts of aspects of that passage which is stressing the fact that he is the true son Um, that he is the true son of God, that he succeeds where both Adam and Israel failed when tested with food, both in Eden and in the wilderness. But nevertheless, um, I am persuaded that Jesus is modeling for us uh, a a way in which we can begin to fight uh, temptation in our own lives. Um, Paul, for example, in uh, 1 uh, Corinthians 9, verse 27, says this, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. All I want you to spot in that reference is there is a connection between your body and your spiritual life. There's a connection. We often sever that connection, but we are whole people, uh, body, mind, and soul. And as Christians in the past have maybe been more articulate uh, and more thought through in this area, it has been observed over and over and over again that if you can learn to practice restraint with the appetites of your body, you can... That can be wonderful training and helpful for you as you begin to restrain other appetites uh, that are illicit and sinful. And so Thomas Akempis, uh, a medieval Christian, uh, wrote these words, restraint or restrain from gluttony, uh, easy for me to say, restraint from gluttony, uh, and thou shalt the more easily restrain all the inclinations of the flesh. If we learn to restrain in one area, that is really helpful for us uh, to strengthen those muscles of self-control to restrain uh, in other areas. What is fasting? It's voluntarily going without food, but not water, for a set period of time for spiritual purposes. What might some of those purposes be? Why would you do it? Well, to strengthen your prayer, to humble yourself before God, to seek guidance, to express grief and repentance over sin, to overcome temptation. Lastly, how should you fast? How should you fast? Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. When you fast, verse 16, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces uh, and show others They are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Frustratingly, for those of us who like details and maybe rules, uh, we are not told how often we should fast. 
We are not told how long we should fast. I think there's real, in fact, nowhere in the New Testament are you told, given answers to those things. I think there's great freedom for us as we feel led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's no right answer for either of those. But what are we told? What are we told? Before we go on to timing, just Lynn, uh, what are we told in this little passage? We're given a negative command. We're given a positive comment. Uh, and then we're given a wonderful promise. Very quickly, what uh, a negative command. Basically, the negative command is, when you fast, don't be miserable about it. That's basically the command. Don't be miserable about it. Don't show off that you're doing it. Positively, when you fast, um, put products in your hair. Girls, put your makeup on. Wash your face. Be normal. That's the positive command. Be normal. And then wonderfully, there is a wonderful promise here, just right at the end. Uh, The only person who should see what you're doing is your Father in heaven. He should be the only observer to your fast. Um, And there's a wonderful promise here that he will reward you. He will reward you. How will he reward you? Doesn't say. When will he reward you? Doesn't say. I suspect some of my five purposes are part of that answer. Um, But there is this wonderful promise. Um, Again, just to say, it's not that we can never tell anyone else that you're doing it. Uh, Sometimes we will do fasting corporately. That's okay. Just in the same way that you're not to show off about your praying, but it doesn't mean you should never pray in public. That's not the point. The point is don't be showing off about it. Um, looking to impress other people. It is God that you're directing your fasting towards. But one last comment. I feel I have to say something about timing, something, even as just a bit of advice. Um, Scripture gives lots of different time frames. One day, three days, seven days, 40 days. Um, Again, as I said, I think there's great freedom here. Um, But there is wisdom to learn from uh, the church in the past. Uh, There's some evidence in that document, the Didache, that this regular pattern of fasting that they did uh, went from sundown on day one to sundown on day two. And effectively what that means is that they skipped breakfast, they skipped lunch, and when the sun went down... They shared a light meal. Perhaps, you know, I think that's, that's actually not a bad place for us to start. I've been experimenting with that for about a year. Uh, to skip breakfast, skip lunch, and then break my fast with my family in the evening. And I find it really helpful. I find it doable. Not quite enjoyable yet, but doable. But I think start small. Skip one meal. That constitutes my... You're still fulfilling my definition of a fast. Skip one meal and use the time to pray, to think, uh, to humble yourself before God. And perhaps maybe from there you might choose, freely choose, to build it up to something more. Um, It seems to me, however, that we would do well to include fasting into our regular spiritual practice right up there with reading scripture and prayer and meeting with God's people. Let me finish with one final quote, 
One final quote. Um, In his little book, God's Chosen Fast, Arthur Willis says this, in giving us the privilege of fasting as well as praying, God has added a powerful weapon to our spiritual armory. In her folly and ignorance, the church has largely looked upon it as obsolete. She has thrown it down some dark corner to rust, and there it has lain forgotten for centuries. An hour of impending crisis for the church and the world demands its recovery. Let me pray. Father, we...